August 27, 2023. Let's talk this morning about a third installment, the Sidur from Specialized to Standardized. Uh, just briefly recapping what we talked about last week, uh, which is not necessary per se for the conversation today, but I'll give you the right context, the right mindset. Uh, last week what we talked about is how, and we talked about that really in the first of these uh, three classes as well, how the tefillah at its inception seems to have been uh, with the concept underlying it that it's very much individualized, it's specialized. When you turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether in a petitionary fashion or in a praising fashion, irrespective of what tefillah was or could or will be, it's something that's personalized. It's me turning to him and being able to share a conversation, being able to engage in dialogue. Over the course of time, for one reason or another, which we addressed and discussed, tefillah became not only more standardized, but absolutely standardized. To the, ex to the extent and to the uh, limit that we addressed last week, there's good sourcing, and it really is the mainstream sourcing, that if a person has one nosach tefillah, I say it Ashkenazic, they shouldn't per se be uh, transferring over or crossing over and accepting a, a Sephardic nosach uh, tefillah is the opinion of many. We quoted from Piri Megadim among others. Um, if a person alternatively, Hacham Yosef said specifically, Svaradi shouldn't turn over to Ashkenazi and so forth. It happens to be there's debate in that context. We only mentioned Hacham Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and others argue, unlike Chacham Vadya, Chacham Vadya, if you recall, said if you go from Ashkenazic Nosach to Sephardic, that might be okay. From Sephardic to Ashkenazic, that's a downgrade is his understanding. Of course, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, not in the exact same way, but he's talking about someone who wants to accept a Nosach Sephardat. He says that's a newer Nosach. It's inappropriate if you have as your Nosach a Nosach Ashkenaz. But particularly and specifically, we mentioned that last week to make the point that the conversation amongst the Poske Halacha has emerged as such that the standardized version of Tefillah is so set to the extent that even though there's another version out there, an accepted version, you shouldn't be crossing over. If you recall the words of Arizal, there are 12 gates in heaven, each for one of the tribes, so to speak, of Am Yisrael. You can't in turn transfer from one gate to the other. Your acceptance, your entrance won't be uh, unblocked. It'll be difficult for you. In other words, more than anything, the vision, the perspective, the ironic reality that we were developing is that tefillah has become, like many other things, like halakha to a certain extent, very much standardized. Uh, what I'd like to this week is, even though the same title of the class, From Specialized to Standardized, is to discuss one angle of where, and I've mentioned this, you know, that through the cracks we're going to see this, or we should see this, there will be room and has been opportunity for individualized or specialized, even after standardization. What do I mean by that? Even after we have a sidur, even after we have a specific prayer text that uh, different communities and specific organizations will use, uh, there has been time of change and there's been seeping through not in a way that we per se should be bemoaning and sad about this uh, specialized version again. We mentioned one, uh, which was uh, very controversial some 50 or so years ago when Rabbi Goren had this vision of bringing forth. It was on the one hand going to be specialized because it would be a shift. On the other hand, it was going to be overly standardized. He wanted tefillah ahida. He wanted one version standardized 
for everyone, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, Yemenite, Moroccan, Syrian, Polish, Hungarian, etc. Everybody should pray the same one. It was an interesting thing. He wanted a novelty in the prayer, but at the same time, he wanted it to end up standardized, overly standardized. In the She'elot uh, Teshubot, Siach Nahum, that's Rabbi Nahum Eliezer Rabinovich of Ma'ale Adumim, he talks about this, and he describes what he does and did in the yeshiva in his lifetime. He was the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivat Ma'ale Adumim. He would have on the high holidays different hazanim uh, praying different nusha'ot, and the entire yeshiva had to follow suit. So there was almost within the standardized, he found an opportunity for a specialized. It's not per se that every person could determine, it was that the hazan would determine it. Uh, Rabbi Malamed has another, another Tzionidati thinker, another angle on this. It's been, for good reason, lots of the conversation in some of the rabbinic world with regards to how do we address Sidur and Tefillah and keeping it relevant while at the same time maintaining the integrity of that standardized text. So what I'd like to specifically address this morning with you, though, is how Hazanut, that's right, the Hazan and Hazanim as an entity and as a group have affected the standardized text of our Sidur. How they have and continue to specialize the text of our Sidurim. I was most inspired to thinking like this because just a few weeks ago I was at a panel for the Minhag of the Week and uh, Joey Harari began speaking at one point and he said, have you ever paid attention to the fact that when we sing songs in the Slah, in the Tefillah, we completely and utterly take away the proper pronunciation of the words. Leave aside Nosach for a moment. He said, just for an example, he said, we say, every single one of those words, nearly every single one of them is mispronounced. It's and so forth. And he said, without feeling bad about it, he said, that's to a certain extent the license of the hazan and the ma'amat and our tradition that in circumstances, in order to fit it to the tune, we have accepted shifts of one sort or another. That's very significant, at least in my mind. That's very fascinating. It means, that's in terms of pronunciation, not per se words. It means that, at least the way he was describing it, and we as a community, and as a nation have accepted it, Hazanim have, and our singing in synagogue will, effectuate the words that we say and how we say them in a way that, well, we'll see, not nobody, but few people seem concerned about. Isn't that terrible? Isn't tefillah standardized? Shouldn't it be perfect and fitting in terms of one set word or word, a set of words and make certain that they're said in the right way, the way we've always said it? Alternatively, maybe that's the seeping through. Maybe that's the turn back through hazanim, through the tunes that we have in the synagogue, the opportunity to give a little bit of an individualistic flair, changing things a bit over the course of time. That's what I'd like to, over the course of the next half an hour or so, discuss with you. And I'll start you with several sources which bemoaned, which were very angry and set back in their minds and their perspective about how Hazanim <laughs> skew and ruined the tefillah. Begin with one of the major commentators, if not the major, major commentator, to Shohan Aruch Ora Hayim Magen Abraham here in Ora Hayim Siman Resh Pe Aleph. Uchvar Hifligu, we're picking up in the middle of his words, Hakadmonim Bignut Hamishorim Hamma'arichim. The early rabbis and leaders already spoke in a very derogatory fashion about those who would sing 
and be elongated in their singing. And as a result, and by way of doing so, they would separate the words and skew their proper pronunciation and articulation. And words are, were disjointed as well. We have it all the time. If you read Piyutim in our tefillah, if you pay attention to the way the Hazan will sing songs and lead us in singing the songs, words are misplaced. And if you read the sentence, it doesn't really read the way it should. But nonetheless, we do it with this, so to speak, this poetic license of the Hazanim. Says Magen Abraham, we've already addressed that in previous generations. That's terrible. That's horrible. Along those same lines, a little bit later in history, in She'elot Teshubot Hatam Sofer, in Ora Hayim Siman Reshe, he has a very very strong, and I didn't even give it all to you, words and diatribe against Hazanim. Very angry at them. It's in the context of a problematic Hazan, and he makes clear, Hazanim help us with nothing. Hazanim only cause problems. Hazanim are only the cause of our sorrows. Aval He's responding to a situation. If you see there's going to be strife in the congregation because of this Hazan, even if we have a halachic angle for him securing that position, lower your hand. He's not really doing what Hazanim historically did in terms of fulfilling and helping others pray. Even on the high holidays. When he places the Hazan, his hand on his chin. He says, and when he's screaming like a raven on the high holidays, do you think his cries, his shouts are being listened to by God? Why do we need wrongful hazanim? Why do we need any of those stars? The truth is, you might replace one with another. You're going to just have a repeat, a circle of events which will continue as a, or a cyclical nature in which hazanim will only cause you strife and problems. He cites from the Mishnah at the end of Masechet Kiddushin, which talks about how the Mishnah over there says, as Hamarin, those are uh, donkey drivers, donkey owners. They are Rubam, the Mishnah says, the majority of them are Rishaim, are wicked people. He cites from Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who preceded him several generations, who says in his generation, it's the Shulchanim, the money changers, the majority of them are wicked. Uh, so the Mishnah says the donkey drivers and owners, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, Ya'avet says it's the money changers, says Hatam Sofer, I'll tell you who the majority of Rishaim are. It's of course the Hazanim. That's his statement. Now again, he's speaking not so much about how they're skewing the prayer. He might think there's personality problems, but he's very disinterested in the involvement of Hazanim. It might be, it's not certain, it might be he too fears and manipulation with regards to the prayer. Hatam Sofer was very careful about preserving the prayers in the time of reforming Jews. He made certain that we weren't going to change anything or introduce or accept any of those uh, ceremonial, uh, the other culture type of ways to things. That might be part of his, his, his driving force, but he too, very strongly opposed to Hazanim. In the Hasidic world, ironically, 
Uh, surprisingly, in the book Toledot, many of these initial sources I got from a book called Minhage Yisrael, written by Professor uh, Daniel Sperber. And Helek Dalit, he has an article on this matter. And Toledot Yaakov Yosef, that's a, that is a student, one of the early students of the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, so we're dealing with uh, 18th century uh, uh, Hasidic rabbi, a uh, famous one. Kahazanim. He says, you should know there are Hazanim who annul, who do away with prayer because they get obsessed with the songs, with the tunes. Initially, the tunes were the ancillary, the side part. They were only necessary for the main part, which is prayer. They left aside prayer, which was the real part, and they just focused on their tunes. He too is not per se bemoaning the fact that there's mispronunciation, but he's not very happy with the hazanim of his time period, or of any time period it sounds like. Lastly, and we push all the way backward here to Teshubot Geonim. This is from Kitveyad, this, to the best of my knowledge, is not published in book form, but it's published in an article by Professor Tashma, and he cites from several of the Geonim. First, Rav Natrunai Gaon. And when we go back to the Geonim, we're going back some 1,300 years. Hazanim shenirim ki ilu medaktekim. Look at the cantors who appear as if they know how to read properly. Umosifim al hachamim. Instead, they add words into the prayer inappropriately so. Umeshanim, and they change the prayer. The Hazanim, they're the ones who are doing wrong. They've changed our prayers. Now keep in mind, Hazanim were very much the bearers of the prayer at a time where not everyone had a prayer book. But again, the reference here is the danger inherent in Hazanim who might or do mispronounce words Add words in. Chen Amarav Amram Gaon. Amarav Nachshon b'Metivta b'Cholatar diika Rabbanet Lam Meshaninan Kelam Metivilot Etakinu Rabbanan. Any place where you have scholars leading the congregation, where you have Tamidei Hachamim, we don't change from the traditional prayer. Velo Amrinan Piyut, and we don't sing additional songs. Ve'en Machnisin lebet Haknesset Hazan Sheyodeh Piyut. We don't enter into the synagogue a Hazan, a cantor who knows Piyutim. And the way we would say it today probably is, who knows Ma'amat? Keep him out. He's only trouble. And a synagogue, a knis, where they say piyutim, where they add additional songs. They are testifying by so doing about themselves. They're not righteous scholars and knowledgeable people. Don't imagine that when it comes to holidays, you can add additional songs or tunes of that sort. We don't make any changes to the traditional text of the prayer. So if you've been keeping track, it means sources one through four have made very clear to us that the tunes of the Hazanim spell only trouble. 
that the tunes of the Hazanim either lead to a skewed words of the prayer, dikduk in the words of the prayer, or maybe other issues Hatam Sofer was particularly uh, nervous about. It would stand to reason then that we would find no changed prayers. I'll only mention one at the end of the class, but I'll, I'll just let it be known. There are many. No changed prayer texts in the traditional sense, which we surmise arose because of Hazanim. We would root that out. It's evil. It's terrible. Don't let the Hazanim have a hand in this because of their tunes. But uh, before we get to that, before we determine whether that's so or not, I just want to pause for a second and, and I'll take a few giant steps backward. And the steps backward are to first focus upon and realize the significance of music and of tunes to our tradition and to the development and creative nature of our tradition. And what I mean by that, I'm really hearkening back to a past class in which we talked about how there's a continuation of the oral Torah, which means to say even after the closing of Talmud Bavli, even after the closing initially of uh, Torah Shebikhtav, there was still room within each of them for creative expression and understanding. And one of the examples we mentioned at the time is how the Torah is left with ta'amim, Ta'amim do make it more exciting and beautiful to listen to, but they also, as we'll suggest from several sources, they also invite you and me into it to give an interpretation to why it's being read like that. They give a poetic flourish to the person who's reading to accentuate certain points, to highlight some and to take away from the focus of others, to bring you along in the Torah Shebikhtav or the Torah Shebaalpeh in a way that only music could. Music has a certain nature to it that has uh, this, this ability of transcending specific uh, black and white words and articulated notions. And music has been part of our tradition for quite some time, it seems to me, and from many sources, clear that the purpose of music, not ironic at all, was to engage and to invite you and me into what seemed like static words, something that was set in place. It would stand to stand to stand to uh, it would stand it would make sense then, stand to reason then that when it comes to prayer as well, the addition of nigunim and of hazanim, I'm going to suggest is not something per se to bemoan if we're to envision prayer as at its core ideally expressed through a specialized version. It's rather within a standard version. The same we have a standard text of Torah, not to be changed, not to be manipulated. The same way Talmud Bavli was closed out, but nonetheless through song and music we found self-expression so too it will be, has been, and will be with regards to prayer. Does that mean we should change pronunciation? No, not per se, but it means the changes that have, uh, that have crept in are not something that we're crying about. They're not something we're per se angry about. They're instead that, oh my goodness, a flash of creativity, a flash of hearkening back to the olden days where there was a specialized version, a self-expression to the tefillin. Did you hear how he said Kaddish? Did you hear the, feel the energy in the room as we read Ra'ubanim? But I'm not certain it was pronounced properly. But did you feel that energy which has a transcendental nature to it? It brought us above the words on the page. It brought us into a domain, a realm metaphysically determined. That's what I'm suggesting. The music, although the name of the class from specialized to standardized, 
the music, so to speak, brings us back into the specialized within, amazingly, the standardized. But to get to that point, and we won't fully articulate it because we're time constrained, we'll have to take another, uh, the Sidur specialized to standardize like number 10 for that. But anyway, the Gemara in Masech and Megillah and Gimal has the following statement, the famous statement. Rav Ikaba Ravina Marav Hananel Markrav Amarav Vaikreu Besefe Torata Elohim Meforash Vesom Sechel Vayavinu Bamikra Vesederasha Bales Pasuk in Nehemia, where the last part of the Pasuk Vayavinu Bamikra, they understood. This is at a time that, that uh, there is a, a public reading of the Torah to the people who are returning to Eretz Israel, And the Pasuk says, for the first time, and this is noted by many, we don't have this in tradition, even in Hakel, when we were to gather the nation and read to them the Torah. Wasn't per se for understanding. In Nehemiah and Ezra, it's about understanding. How do you get to understanding? Well, maybe they translate it. Indeed, the Pasuk says as well, Vesom Sechel, excuse me, Meforash, Zet Targum is the interpretation of the rabbis. What does it mean? Vayavinu Bamikra, they understood the text. Elu Pisketa Amin. The rabbis' understanding of the comprehension of the people was through the cantillation, through the singing, through the ta'amim. So to speak, the rabbis pinpoint this pasuk as saying ta'amim could and should bring me and you into the text. They should make it relevant to us. We should attach to it through that song. The Gemara Masech Berachot likewise has a statement that you're not supposed to when you uh, finish relieving yourself and you're cleaning yourself, you're not supposed to do so with your right hand. Several reasons suggested. One of them is The reason is because with your right hand you show the ta'amim to the Baal Koreh. If you've ever watched or been a Baal Lots of times you're showing the ta'amim with your hands. You may have imagined it's in 21st century when nobody's diligent, ADHD, they can't study, they don't remember, whatever. No, no, it's back to the time of the Talmud. They were using their hands to show the ta'amim. And so the Gemara effectively is saying is, well, this is part and parcel of the Kiryata Torah. The ta'amim is a big part of it. This is not per se explaining to us that it's for understanding, but it is again portraying to us the... Um, the, the, the indispensable nature of ta'amim to the Kiryat Torah to the extent that we can't imagine it otherwise. Magen Abot, written by Rabbi Shimon ben Semach Duran, wrote two books named that, but here on page Nunhe, uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Semach Duran was a rabbi from Algeria who lived in the 15th, uh, mid-15th century. Below Safek, Kemoshe Nakud More, Nikud More al Kavanata Inyan. He says the same way a Nikud, the way you read a word with its um, with its vowels, Ken Hanigun More So too the tune teaches you how to understand it. Kikama Pesukim it Baarim Hanigun. Many Pesukim are interpreted and are given expression through the song. Imom, we understand better sometimes speaking face to face. I can hear the words, I can read the words, but when I see them from you and I hear exactly how you're saying it, it's altogether different. There is much to be understood through 
the tunes, through the ta'amim, through the music which accompanies the text of the Torah. Again, if you've keep, been keeping track, we began the class with uh, killing the hazanim, not physically. Can't believe all the destruction they've done. We paused and we thought about that. We thought maybe it's not so destructive. Maybe there was and is an opportunity for that specialization through the hazanim. And then we tried to understand how so. And what we're doing is first from Torah Shebikhtav, the ability to express it in a creative nature and bring forth better comprehension, more personalized attention, is through the ta'amim these sources are telling us. So too we're going to suggest, and we are suggesting it is so, and has been so with regards to tefillah. So it's not a matter of destruction and wanting to kill them off, but rather embracing, provided that they're good. The Gemara Masechem Megillah in Source 8 and Source 9, Tosafot over there, has the following statement. As, uh, there's a, a, a negative statement that he cites from the Tobim. It's said about a person who studies without song and repeats and reviews without tunes, and he has hukim lotovim. He has the wrong, uh, has the wrong laws. Uh, what's it referring to? Just uh, a nigun of Tosafot. Clearly, back in the day, Mishnayot used to be recited with a tune. Until later, in the Ashkenazic world, at the very least, uh, they had tunes for studying Gemara, they had traditional tunes. You would be taught a tune in the Beit Midrash. How to recite the Gemara? For what reason? You remembered it better. Tunes have an ability to give, given to us to, to, to retain it, to understand it best. That's actually a standardized reason for this sort of specialized idea. And to remember, that's the goal is standardization. Um, it's an interesting point, Ray says. Ray says, standardization is, Harambam wrote, standardization is because we would have forgotten or skewed it. Um, and in turn, you're saying that if, I, if it's with a tune, you're kind of standardizing by so doing, or maybe you're personalizing and as a result remembering best. Why do I say so? Because I was recently reading a book called The Book. And it was, it's a fat book. I'm far from finished with it. It talks about the history of books, of course. And in the first maybe 15 pages or so, it talks about how there was this notion some several thousand years ago about how books or words had this religious, dietistic nature to them. There was something divine about words on the page. And, um, uh, and excuse me, about words. And uh, at, at the first expression of words being written down, I forgot who, but some 2,500 years ago, there was an expression of anger, confusion, and, and, and uh, distrust. Now that it's written down, nobody will remember it any longer. In other words, by putting it into text, we won't forget it any longer. So, right, right. In other words, we have less, but 100%. In other words, the, the more, the, ironically, now away from books, we say that we're going to get that right. But I, again, but what I think Ray is nonetheless saying is that Ironically, but not so ironically, I, I'm, I'm going to make it very beautifully, if the point of standardization was so that we don't skew and lose the prayer, with tunes we've retained it. It's not to say that it's become fully standardized any longer, it's that we've retained the positive note, nature of tefillah. Tefillah was supposed to be specialized, but it was supposed to be a beautiful specialization. We lost that, says Harambam. Uh, maybe tunes in some way bring us back to that. In fact, Torah Shbi'al Peh, remember, 
remember the, someone who pointed me to this, I've since seen it quoted more than once in the book, Tiferet Yisrael, which is a major commentary on Mishnayot. He has a fascinating take on basing himself on this Tosafot and one or two other sources. His suggestion is, if you've ever learned Talmud, and it seems like in the room everyone has, the Gemara will oftentimes point back to the Mishnah and say, Mishnah is missing a few words. Here's how you fill in those words. And you read the Gemara, and if you're not, firstly, if you're not conditioned in the Gemara, you're very frustrated. Even when you're conditioned, when you're a teacher in a high school and someone raised their hand and said, Really? Come on. Shouldn't the Mishnah have just said those words? It's altogether different interpretation. But it was missing the word law, and it meant, uh, and, and it was read one way instead of no, it said, Yes, come on, Rabbi, really? Or come on, Gemara, really? Are you really? So one cynical approach would be, That's right, the Hachmeh. Talmud had the ability to skew and determine the words of the Mishnah according to their function and their, uh, their, their understanding of how they wanted it to be. Alternatively, suggest Tiferet Yisrael, and you'll have to test it out and see how this works in each one of the cases. He says that the Mishnayot used to be repeated with a song and a rhythm and a beat and a tune. And as a result, a song, a rhythm, a, t- a tune, a beat, all needs to be fitting that rhythm, beat, and tune. If there are too many words. If the wrong words are placed in it, you threw off the beat, the tune, the rhythm, and as a result, you're not going to remember it any longer because it's not going to not going to flow, not going to come off the tongue easily. That's why he suggests the Mishnayot are missing words from time to time. They're missing those words because they needed to be composed in a way that people could be singing them, people could be chanting them. Why do I mention all of this again? I mention this to make the point that although not being very musical myself, I very much appreciate the role that music has and does play in our tradition. The Kiryata Torah with Ta'amim is an integral part of the Kiryata Torah to the extent that one of my father's rabbi, Rabbi Salvechik, his tradition, although he didn't instruct the students this way, when he read from his, on his Bar Mitzvah parasha, he didn't follow the opinion of Rama. Rama has a Pesach Halacha that if there's a mistake in the Ta'amim, if even, uh, if it, only if it changes the meaning of the word, do you correct the Baal Kore? He said when he read from the Sefer, the Dayan of Brisk was on his left, his grandfather was on the right, or something like that, and they said to him, any mistake you make, you miss a Rabia, we're going to correct you. Can you imagine a Bar Mitzvah boy under that sort of pressure? But regardless, the idea being, as I understand it philosophically, <laughs> Tunes, music, the cantillation plays an integral role. Vayavinu bamikra, full comprehension, a personalized, individualized, relevant understanding is born out of tunes. We know that from music in general. I can. I remember I had a rabbi in, in high school. I don't remember. There was there was some compo- some singer and. Uh, whatever, as a popular guy at the time, who was singing songs, so he wanted to come in and make fun of it. So he, I don't know how, someone brought him the text, and he just read all the words off a piece of We were on the floor, hysterically live, sounded so ridiculous. I wasn't really familiar with it, but I walked out and said, what was that all about? So my friend played it for me. It was a beautiful song. It's just when you put it, you just read the words. It'll have the same meaning. It sounds kind of silly. With the tune, it has a whole new meaning. It touches your heart in one way or another. I won't tell you who it was. I don't know. I'm not really sure it really would today touch me in the same way, but it did at the time. But I think that's what's taking place throughout these sources to the extent, and we'll conclude with this before we bring it back home, that Gaon Mi Vilna, one of the greatest... What happened? One of the... Not now. 
uh, one of the greatest, one, one of the greatest uh, minds in the last several hundred years. Gaon Mivilna in source number 11 in the book Pe'at HaShulchan. Pe'at HaShulchan is written by one of his students who ultimately speaking moved to Israel, Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov. And in his book he describes his rabbi. Now Gaon Mivilna was known as having a full, as I said, comprehension of Torah, Torah, and anything and everything in between. Sod and Nistar, he knew it all. Not the type of person and he wasn't, that you'd imagine you know, stopping and listening to Spotify or something. It wasn't his type of thing. It's not the personality. And yet, in his passion, his zeal to know it all and understand it best, his student testified, Ko amar hagaon mivilna, ko amar, kol ukluimba. You need all knowledge in order to understand the Torah, and you'll find all knowledge in the Torah. Yes, Michael? So to bring that point home, Yes, I'm home. My, my kids are studying for their MCAT to become doctors. Yeah. The most ridiculous. I can't remember one more. You're reading books like this. And they're singing it. And they're going to videos that use children rhymes and rhythms. Amazing. Amazing. We're we're doing MCAT through MCAT children rhymes. Amazing. Um, fantastic. I, I, I do know there was a competition. There was a competition in school a few years ago in one of my son's classes. How many, uh, uh, knowing pi, that's right. So he had a tune. He knew 125. It's an irrational number. But he knew it through a tune. He was able to. And then you have my three-year-old who knows every country in the world because of some silly song as well. Yes, songs do have that ability. That's what, that's, that's the and poem we make. And children are learning ta'amim, so they know the Hamash by heart. Through the ta'amim. There's a power to that musical part that touches you in ways. Which in that respect might work. The question in the Zilberman system, just to mention very briefly, is whether, quote, the personalized, specialized part actually takes form in the kid. In other words, what the claim has been. I'm just, the, the, right, that's the question. The question is, do they as a result just remember or do they remember and make it themselves so that now they can critically think about it? We talked about this the first time we met, actually. Certainly. Certainly, which might be, by the way, the fear of many of the first sources. You remember that, who were claiming, for example, you know, the, the Toledot Yaakov Yosef, they made the Ikar into the Tafil and Tafil. In other words, yeah, you're getting high on the tune. It's a fascinating thing, though. There was a Hasid who said that the Tefillah is lost through the Nigun, whereas certainly today we think about Hasidim when we say they're more about the tune than about the words. He's bemoaning that. That's fascinating. Fascinating addition. When it comes to, my, my mother's pointing out, when it comes to the tunes in today's tefillot, as much as we're suggesting the tune will make it relevant for us, there's nonetheless a standardization on that specialization, to use these words again. In other words, the specialized nature of getting it across to you through the ma'am, but now he took one of the pop culture songs, he took an opera song or whatever it may be, and oh my goodness, he took us away from what it is. It was inspirational, but that's not true inspiration, it's not tradition. It's, there's an ir irony 
inherent in that in a real way. Uh, of course, uh, fascinating uh, uh, to think of it like that. But Gaon Mivilna here in source number 11, just to bring this home, his statement is, Torah can and will be best understood. You'll find it within it, but best understood with all sorts of other chokmot. And he knew them all. Of course, the legend is he learned them in the bathroom. Regardless, Vizkiram, and he mentioned them, Chokmat Algebra, Meshulashim, Vahandasa, that's the one we want. The knowledge of music, uh, understanding of music. And he spoke about the praise of music very much. used to say, as much of the reasoning underlying Torah, Sodot Shireha Levim, the secrets inherent in the songs of the Levim and the Mikdash, Sodot Zohar, You could not and will not understand them without proper song and understanding of song. You can die from the beauty and splendor and and, and delightfulness of Torah with the song. You'll be able to resurrect the dead. You should know, Gaon Vilna suggested, Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Har Sinai many songs, tunes, and melodies, and everything else is just grafted and reinterpreted and plagiarized from those initial songs. That was his vision of it. The history is not the significant part. The vision is, his vision is that true Torah is to be experienced and understood through music. I bring us back to the tragedy that we began with, the first four sources, the Hazanim, the tragic Hazanim, who are injecting their tunes and manipulating our words or the pun pronunciation through those words. And I'm going to provide just one example. There are several good other examples. One example, this one again, Professor Sperber mentions in his book as well. It comes from Bach, Bach, B.O.L. Sirkis, in his commentary to Tur in Siman Resh Samech Zayin is commenting on the following. You see, when it comes to Arbit, the Berachai immediately before the Amidah is different on Friday night than it is throughout the week. It's the Berachai, of course, of Hashkivenu. Now, throughout the week, we finish it with Ushmor, Setenu, Boenu, and so on and so forth. Baruch Hashem Shomeret Amo Yisrael, maybe Mikol Davara, according to some, La'ad Amen. Right, so we mention Shemira, we're requesting some sort of safeguarding, protection from God. On Friday night, certainly the last part is right? We instead of mentioning the safeguarding, the protection from God, we mention give us, you know, the, a, a different, not, not the same type of physical protection. Give us the give us the the, the sukkah of of of, 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 of rahamim, of mercy and of peace and so forth. And uh, Tur uh, makes this point that you shouldn't be saying the regular Shemira. You shouldn't be talking about the regular protection. Shabbat is an elevated time where it's inherent and as a result doesn't need to be requested or demanded of God. Uh, that being the case, says Bach, but wait a second. Look at all of our prayers. What's he referring to? Not the conclusion, the final Beracha, but right before it. Now, if you look in a Kol Yaakov or any of the other Sidurim that are in the Knis here, you won't find what I'm about to describe. If you alternatively look in any Ashkenazic Sidur, you will find this. I remember being struck by this the first time I opened one and was praying with one. I'm sorry, at Hatayani Maskirayom. Right, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it that was in it. In other words, whereas... <laughs> 
the text leading up to the final Beracha in the Sephardic versions is altogether different, as has been described. It's we go from Hashkivenu, we don't mention Ushmor Setenu Boenu, and we, we skip that line and we go to Hapore Sukkot. Oh, we're not talking about Shemira. Ashkenazim have some sort of mix. That's Ashkivenu, God, and give us a protection, so forth. Ushmor Setenu Boenu, and then Hapore Sukkot, you mixed the two. You gave me the weekday version of protection, and then you concluded with a, a request of peace from God. Something seems off. We're supposed to go away from requests of protection. Well, the response is, but you didn't finish with it. But why was it mentioned at all? Says Bach, Tur told us not to mention it. Where did it come from? Bach says it came from those darn Hazanim. The Hazanim who want the beautiful tune, who want the congregation to be uh, uh, livened up and inspired through the tefillah for one reason or another, found it appropriate to have it in there. Ashkenazim, I don't know if it was then as well, but you know, the final words are what the Hazan even reads. He doesn't read the whole Beracha out loud. Maybe you want those words, but maybe you could sing those words better. Says Bach, in Lomar Kishom, I say it's quoting from Tur, and so forth. The Kachna Hagu Kadmoni Me'olam, second line, source number 12. It says, in the past, everyone did it, forgive me for saying it like this, like the Svaradim do it today. And Bach writing some 350, 400 years ago. They now say, how do we go against uh, tour? How do we go against the proper customs that were recorded? Libi omerli. It seems clear to me. My heart is telling me. It came from those darn Hazanim. They accept them because they sing with a beautiful voice. They don't know the laws of Tefillah. And it's the rich people who appointed the Hazanim instead of the proper people. We should return the, the minhag to the proper way. And you'll even find that a little bit. That's what he makes very clear. Magen Abraham, following Bach in source number 13, in his commentary to Shulchan Aruch, Siman Reish Samach Zayin, says, oh, hold up a second. Can we find some rationale for this? In other words, just to be clear, instead of looking to do away, to root out that new, inappropriate addition to the tefillah, he says, let's find some rationale. Maybe I can find some reasoning. His suggestion, very cleverly, based on Zohar, is that whereas an individual might need the request of protection, the congregation doesn't, per se. So to say that the final line where we're speaking in plural is not shomeret amo Yisrael that we won't say. But when we're talking about something individual with regards to ourselves, then we do request for protection. The philosophical, psychological underpinnings, not significant. The concept is, says Magen Abraham, instead of doing away with that novelty which those darn Hazanim brought, he says, let's embrace it. Let's work with it. It's almost as if, or it's not almost, it's entirely the tefillah being altered potentially as per Bach by Hazanim. And instead of, says Magen Abraham, through the lines and in between the words, instead of looking at this as a tragedy, looking to uproot and destroy any involvement of Hazanut, which has changed the text, let's instead, my words, see this as a beautiful, unique opportunity where we got back to the specialized from the standardized, where we found some expression of self through music, the most beautiful vehicle and mechanism for that, 
in the tefillah the mechanism and vehicle for a specialized experience and dialogue with God. It means, in short, among many other examples, this final one being one of where tefillah has been altered over time for one reason or another. This one specifically, very unique and special because it's because of the hazanim. Instead of seeing that as a tragedy, I'm suggesting through this class and through our conversation and understanding of tefillah from its inception and through the generations to the standardized text and version that we have in front of us, we can perhaps instead see it as a glimpse a little glimpse through the shutters of, well, there's the specialization of tefillah, which can and should be part and parcel of what it's all about, to beseech and turn to God in prayer and petition. Baruch Adonai Amen